Good morning. Welcome. We are back at it again today, trying to root out and expose the lies that we believe. We are in our series that we've entitled Fake News. And last week we looked extensively at where fake news originated. We talked a lot about Satan and the fall of mankind. If you missed that, you can get on our website or wherever you get your podcasts, Crossroads Napoleon. You can listen to that sermon from last week and uh, find out a little bit more about who Satan is and uh, his job description as a fake news journalist spinning out those lies and those fake news headlines. And today, we're going to go after one of those headlines. The headline is this, God won't give you more than you can handle. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, what's so bad about this statement? I mean, we've all experienced tough situations in our lives, and we've probably had friends that have offered this phrase to us to try and comfort us. And the reality is we've, we've probably spoken this to friends and relatives as well. When they're going through really hard situations, that's okay. You know, God won't give you more than you can handle. And we've probably spoken that to try and comfort them too. So why is that included in our fake news series? Well, because it is fake news. Let me explain. Last week, we looked into Satan and Eve's conversation in the garden, where Eve got herself into serious trouble when she added to God's word. Satan came to Eve, and he came planting seeds of doubt. Did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve was like, well, well, no, God said we couldn't eat from the tree in the center of the garden, and, and this is what she added, and we can't touch it or we'll die. You see, Eve took God's word and twisted it just ever so slightly by adding to it. And this little twist to God's word ended up misrepresenting God. It made him out to be this uptight legalist Larry type of guy, which he is not. And Satan ran with this. He used it to make God into a liar. Satan convinced Eve that God was holding out on her. And then he straight up lied to her. You won't die, he said. There won't be any judgment for eating this fruit. There's no hell. There's no death. So my point here is this. When we subtract from God's word or add to it in any way, it becomes twisted. It may be a subtle twisting. It may not appear to be that big of a deal, but we can't be fooled. Even a subtle change to God's word has the potential to change the good news of the gospel and change it to the point where it ceases to be the good news of Jesus and becomes something less. When we change the gospel, that is, when we change God's word, even a little bit, we remove it of all of its power. It goes from something that was able to save to a lie that will lead us to our deaths. 2 Corinthians 11, 3-4, teaches us as much. You can read it. It's up on the screen. This is from the NLT. It says, But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preached or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. Paul goes on to say a little bit, uh, a little bit after these verses in 2 Corinthians 11, he said that there are false teachers out there that are using our language. They're using the name of Jesus. They're using the gospel language. They're talking about a spirit. They're using church words, but what they're preaching is a different gospel. It's not the Jesus that has the power to save. It's not our Jesus of the Bible. It's not the good news of Christ. They speak things that sound good. Perhaps they even appear, appear to be loving principles on the surface. 
but their words aren't the gospel. They talk about Jesus, but the Jesus they speak of, the spirit they speak of, it's not the Jesus who has the power of salvation. It's not the Holy Spirit of God. It's another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. That should, that should give all of us pause, a lot of pause. Just this week, I heard of a church here in Northwest Ohio, in our area, a supposedly sound church that doesn't think Romans 3.23 should be included in a gospel presentation because it's offensive. We don't like that it's offensive. You say, what does Romans 3.23 say? It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You take that out of the gospel? Why did Jesus have to come? Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? What, what was all of the sacrificial system about in the Old Testament? They want to remove one piece of the gospel because it's offensive. And church, it is offensive. You're a sinner. That's offensive. I'm a sinner. That is offensive. But if we take it out of the gospel, why did Jesus have to come? We've stripped the gospel message. We've stripped the gospel, the Bible, God's message. It ceases to be the saving message of Christ. It becomes something less than. There's a church in our county, not our county, and one close to us, that is, they're preaching something less than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they think they're Christian. That is terrifying. That is terrifying. Paul says in Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has convinced you of this other gospel? You're going away from God's word. You see, when we, when we take just one part of God's truth, we say, no, we don't like this part. We can't deal with that. That's offensive. <laughs> that doesn't sit well. That, that's not peaceful. That's not loving. We'll just, we'll just set this aside. In the name of peace, in the name of love, in the name of tolerance. And what they've done is they've stripped the gospel message of all of its power. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. It's another Jesus. It's another gospel that has no power to save lost people. By omitting one verse or changing the focus ever so slightly, this church has changed the entire message of God. You see, if you add to or subtract from God's clear words of Scripture, even subtly, you're in danger. You're in danger of changing the good news to the point where it ceases to have the power of salvation. That's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Now, why did we spend so much time making that point? What does that have to do with the phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle? Well, that sounds true, doesn't it? Sounds nice. And actually, it is close to the truth. It's close, but hopefully, as you've seen, close is not close enough. We need precision when we're talking about the message of Jesus. If we omit truth or add to truth in any way, it becomes twisted and untrue. It becomes fake news. So what's wrong with this phrase? God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, to start, life. Life is wrong with that phrase, right? Life is more than we can handle. It is. When we say and entertain fake, the fake news headlines, God will never give me more than I can handle. What, what we mean is that we don't want God to give us more than 
we think we can handle on our own. As one author I read this week, he said he put it like this. If we're honest, we make our plans, we make our plans to keep us comfortable, right? We make our plans to keep us comfortable, and we want God to bless those plans and stay inside those boundaries. However, God hardly operates that way. He almost always gives us more than we can handle on our own so that we'll seek him for help and guidance. The truth is that all of life is more than we can handle, but it is not more than God can handle through us. Do you see why the phrase is fake news? Saying God won't give you more than you can handle, it's just short of the truth. The truth is that God won't give you more than he can handle through you. It's really subtle, and you might be thinking, man, you're splitting hairs here, but we're not. It's a very important distinction. Subtleties change everything. They change everything. See, the reality is, if you try and handle life on your own, apart from God, you're gonna be in over your head. You will receive more from life and God than you will ever be able to handle by yourself. Now, I get why we don't like this truth. I get that. And thankfully, that's not all God promises. It's not God, like God's up in heaven. He's saying, well, life's hard. Water's deep. Current's strong. Good luck. You guys are up a creek without a paddle. See you after you die. Right? It's, not, it's, it's like the old country western song that Wes brought to my attention. This is way before my time, but God, you make fun of me about my ability to play softball, I'm going to make fun of how old you are. But God doesn't promise us a rose garden, right? He doesn't promise us a road garden. But thankfully, this picture of us up a creek without a paddle is not what he promises us either. Life is hard and overwhelming. That's true. It's more than we can handle on our own. That's true also. But God has promised to be with us through all of it. He's promised to be an ever-present help in times of trouble. Psalm 46.1. He promised to be our refuge and our strength. In Isaiah, God says, Fear not, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10. Hopefully you can see it. It's not true to say God will never give us more than you can handle on our own. But it is true to say God will never give you more than he can handle through you. This is the promise of 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. He said to me, he said to Paul, and he says to you, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, stuff that's more than, more than we can handle. Rejoice in it, for when I am weak, then I am strong. God is strong through us. So why is this such an important distinction to make? Why are we spending so much time, a whole Sunday, talking about this one lie? Well, because if we believe the fake, fake news headline, when we get in over our heads, when we suffer, when we're overwhelmed because life feels like more than we can handle, if we believe this, we're surprised during those times. We're surprised and we're offended and we're ticked off at God, right? 
because we believed the lie. We believed something that God never promised. And we shake our fists at God, call him a liar. You said you'd never give us more than I could handle. That's not true. But we believe it. We believe it. You see, he never promised to keep us comfortable. He never promised to withhold hard things from our lives. He didn't promise to never give us more than we can handle. In fact, all throughout scripture, God has warned us and warned us and warned us and warned us that we are going to receive way more than we can handle from life. I want to give you a little portion of scripture that speaks to this. When Jesus, Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples before he's preparing to go to the cross, this is a little bit more than, than I could handle going to the cross. When Christ is having his last meal with his disciples, here's what he tells them in John 15 verse 18. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant isn't greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they would obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now, they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, hates my father as well. If I had not done anything among them, the works, or if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they've hated both me and my father. But this is to fill what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. They're going to put you out of the church. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. Or to put it in modern day language, they think they're doing social justice. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. And if we skip down a couple more verses to verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. See, Jesus didn't promise that we would never receive more than we could handle. He didn't. In fact, what he warns us of looks a heck of a lot more like any one of us can handle on our own. That's a lot to take in. But we can take heart because of verse 33. It tells us that in Jesus, with Jesus, through Jesus, or rather Jesus through us, we overcome. We overcome the world. We don't have to be overwhelmed because Jesus will overcome in and through us. Church, so many of you are frustrated with God because you believed this lie. God won't give me more than I can handle. God won't allow me to endure suffering or pain. And then when disaster strikes, you say, see, God's a liar. He's not good. How could he be good? He allowed this to happen in my life. The problem is that God never painted this rose-colored picture of our lives. In fact, he speaks quite plainly about the reality of life. 
about how hard it's going to be for us, for believers. See, he doesn't speak as, he speaks about how hard it is going to be for, for us as believers. And that's discouraging. But the encouraging thing is, he doesn't speak as someone who doesn't understand. He gets it. He understands what we are going to face in this world. Hebrews says we don't have a high priest or we don't have a God, a mediator, who is unable to empathize with us in our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted or tested in every way, just as we are. He didn't sin. He didn't fail, but rather he overcame. Church, Jesus knows what it's like to be poor. He knows what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck. That's rough. Now, you might be super wealthy, rolling in the dough, but you haven't, take the, you haven't taken the Financial Peace University class yet, and so you're spending money like crazy, right? I know a guy who makes over $400,000 a year. He's like in his 50s. He's not gonna have enough to retire because he spends more than he makes. That's tough. That's tough. You might think, well, that's foolish, but the reality is sometimes we get in over our head. And some, some of you, work jobs where your wages are low and you have a lot of mouths to feed and that's just the situation you're in. It's tough. It's overwhelming to live paycheck to paycheck. Jesus gets it. He gets it. You say, surely God can't understand what it's like to go to sleep hungry or cold, can he? Surely he doesn't know what it's like to wonder how he's gonna, how, how he's gonna pay the next bill. Jesus doesn't get that. He does. He does. The Son of God knows exactly what it's like to be poor, to struggle to make ends meet. After all, he was homeless. He was homeless. So he can identify with those of us who have to do without. In Luke 9, 58, it says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, Jesus, has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus knows what it's like to be poor, to live paycheck to paycheck. He knows how hard... Money and poverty can be to handle sometimes because he experienced those things firsthand when he lived here. He also experienced exhaustion. We're a crazy busy culture. We are tired. We're too busy, right? T-R-I-D-E-D. I can't spell. <laughs> tired. We're tired. Jesus knew all too well what it was like to experience weariness. It's good to remind ourselves that Jesus had to walk Everywhere he went, he didn't have a car, couldn't take the bus. He walked. He walked everywhere he went. And on top of that, he had to deal with his disciples, constantly arguing, constantly missing the point, right? Don't miss that one, parents. This is a huge encouragement to me with three little ones under four right now. Jesus is frustrated. He knows the agonizing frustration of having to continually say, how many times am I going to have to tell you guys? He gets that. He grows weary of the training process because his disciples were thick-headed like my little kids and like I am. But he patiently endured. Not to mention, while all of that was going on, the religious leaders, the influ influencers, the people of power are, are uh, trying to kill him. They're plotting his death. While he's doing nothing but good, he's healing the sick, casting out demons, being innocent of any sin, and the people in power want to kill him. Many times he would keep on walking 
he'd go off by himself to pray. Because Jesus knows what it's like to be physically exhausted, to be at our wit's end emotionally. He also knows the remedy on how to fix it. Get with your father. Jesus knows what it's like to grieve. Some of you have lost spouses, friends, relatives. So did Jesus. He lost friends to death. We never really hear much about Joseph after he's born. It's probably because Joseph died. Jesus' earthly father. And when people died, he wept. He wept. Even though he had the power to change the situation, he grieved. He wept over death. He cried and experienced the brokenness and hollowness, hollowness that death leaves in its wake. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. All of his friends and family left while he was on trial, while he was beaten and crucified. They left him. How about this one? Jesus knows what it's like to wrestle with God. He knows what it's like to have your will and God's will do battle with one another. Some of you are in tough spots right now. You're in a marriage that's really difficult, and your will says, I want to peace out. God's will says you should stay. Some of you are dating someone right now that you know you shouldn't be. God's saying, you need to break up. You're saying, I don't know if I want to do that. God knows, Jesus knows what it's like to wrestle with God the Father about whose will is going to win. That's never more poignant, poignantly, never more focused than in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus comes before God the Father, and he said, God, is this, is this really what we're going to do here? Am I really going to the cross? His human side says, I don't want to do that. He prayed that much. Father, if there is any other way, can we do this another way? I don't want to do this. That's what the humanity in Christ was saying. And just so you don't miss the intensity here, it says Jesus sweat drops of blood in this wrestling match between his human will and the Father's will. I heard a sermon a few weeks back by a guy named J.D. Greer who's awesome. If you're looking for a guy to listen to, check out his podcast. Super good. He tells a story about one of the pastors on his staff who has a couple little kids. They went out swimming one day. Out swimming in the pool and it got towards the end of the day and they wrap all up, they get all their stuff together and they head out to the car and everything's great. They get out to the car and they realize the three-year-old's not there. Now, if you're a parent, you get all your kids around, you got everybody, you look away for five seconds and one of them's gone. A pit comes in your stomach instantly. It's a terrible feeling. They're like, where'd he go? So they run back to the pool and their worst fears were realized. Their little three-year-old was now at the bottom of the pool. He sank to the bottom. Dad jumps in after him. Mom calls 911. They get him out. He's not breathing. Ambulance get there. They get him to the hospital. They're able to resuscitate him. The little boy's sitting in the doctor's office with dad and the doctor comes in and dad says, he's got all these, these little purple blotches all over his face, just completely covered, these little purple blotches everywhere. And the dad asks the doctor, he said, what's going on here? What's wrong? And the doctor said, he was screaming so hard for you, wanting help so badly that the stress and the strain, the anguish that he was in caused the capillaries in his face to burst. He bled. He sweat blood. That's what happened to Jesus in the garden because he was wrestling on whose will was going to win out. Am I going to follow my heavenly Father's will or am I going to follow my flesh? 
He gets what it's like to wrestle with God. He gets it. Jesus also knows what it's like to feel completely forsaken and forgotten by God. Some of you have felt this. We all feel this at times. We feel as though God has turned his back on us. Jesus can identify with this too. As one author put it, he said, God the Father had turned his face away from his son while he became sin on the cross in our place. Romans 3.23. It's important. In Matthew 27.46, it says this. About the ninth hour, while Jesus is on the cross, Christ cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father turned his face away. He left. He left Jesus completely alone. We need to remember that although this was a reality for Jesus at this time, being forsaken by God, this is something that you and I will never experience because Christ did it in our place. Because of what Christ did, here's the truth that we can cling to. Hebrews 13.5 I will never leave you nor forsake you. We might feel that way sometimes, but it's not true because God promised that even in our darkest hour because of what Christ did, he will never leave us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Church, life is more than we can handle at times. And Jesus knows this far better than even we do. Hopefully you can find some comfort in that. It should comfort you. The reality is that you'll experience the ebb and flow of life. Ups and downs, good days and bad days, times when everything makes sense and times when nothing makes sense. There will be seasons when you have resources at your disposal to pay the bills And then there will be other times where you pray for Jesus to come back because you ain't got no money in your bank account, right? Life throws a ton at you. It's a lot to bear. It's more than you can handle on your own, but it's not more than God can handle through you. Philippians 4.13 is a really relevant verse here as well. It has to be one of the most most misquoted and misused Bible verses of all time. It's this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This verse has nothing to do with dunking a basketball or hitting a game-winning home run or bench-pressing a bus or winning the lottery or closing a business deal. On the other hand, in the context that Paul is writing, this is extremely helpful and encouraging. See, when, when the Apostle Paul wrote these words, he was under house arrest. He's in prison awaiting his trial, execution for preaching about the resurrection of Jesus, for including Romans 3.23 and all the other offensive things about the gospel. He's under arrest for it, waiting his execution. And Paul uses this opportunity to teach the young church at Philippi that he could endure any and every circumstance, the ups and downs, the highs and lows, because he had a strength that comes only from Jesus, a supernatural strength to endure all seasons and situations. It's always with Paul because of the Holy Spirit of Christ is always with Paul. Even in prison, he can endure all things, endure all things through Christ who gives him strength. That's what that verse is about. When life gives you more than you can handle, it's not more than God can handle through you and he will give you the strength to endure. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
Here's the truth, church. To combat the fake news lies, sometimes God gives us more than we can handle, but it's never more than he can handle through us. And sometimes, oftentimes, the blessings come when we're in over our heads in life because we're forced to rely on God in ways that we normally don't. We're given an opportunity to see God do miracles, to see God prove himself as mighty because he has an opportunity that we don't normally give him. These moments are trying to be sure, but in these moments, I believe, and the Bible is clear, the Holy Spirit gives people going through extreme suffering a special grace, special grace, more hope, more peace, more confidence that goes beyond their natural abilities. As Romans 4, or as uh, Isaiah 40, 29 says, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases his strength. I don't know where the circumstances of life have you this moment, but know this. Life will be, if it's not already, more than you can handle. Don't be surprised by that. Don't be shocked when the storm hits. Build your life on the rock. Cling to Jesus. He knows what it's like. He can empathize with you and your weaknesses. And if you press into him when you're overwhelmed, you will overcome through him. Let me pray. Father, thanks. Thanks for your truth. Lord Jesus, help us to be precise about your promises. Help us to know your truth and be set free by your truth, Lord. Let us not be taken captive to another Jesus, a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. Make us clear about the essentials of faith and Lord, help us to stand firm in them no matter what comes, no matter what culture says, no matter what our family says. Help us to cling to the truth. Help us to be loving in that, Lord. We don't want to smack people around with the truth, but we need to stand on it no matter what. Give us the strength in our weakness to stand firm on your truths of Scripture. Help us cling to you. And Father, when the storm hits, be our rock. Defend us. Speak truth to us. Comfort us. Give us strength. Be strong in our weaknesses. Prove yourself to be God, to be a good, good Father. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.